Well, we're in Philemon still. We're going to be in verses 10 through 14 today. I've entitled the sermon, The Disciple-Making Factor. Actually, if, you're, if you have a good rememberer, mine's not as good as it used to be. Hopefully yours is good. We're going to go back and catch a couple verses again that we looked at two weeks ago because they're so vital. And then we're going to add a few more in. And we're getting very, very close to the big climax of this rags-to-riches story with Onesimus and, uh, and Philemon. The disciple-making factor, Philemon 10 through 14. Listen, I want to share something with you. When God prompts me to do something with somebody else, I can have a variety of response. And they, they, all the responses contain the word me, okay? Now, this is just me. See what I did there, me? This is just me. But I want you to think about it for a minute. When God directs me to do something with someone else, I, I, I tend to, I'm just like you. Sometimes my response could be this. Me? Have you ever done that? When God asks something of you, you went, me? What are you saying there? Well, God, you couldn't possibly want me to do that. Oh, God, you don't know my past. That's funny. Yes, he knows your past, all right? Or, you don't know my lack of talent. Of course he does. So that could be one response. Another response sometimes that I've done would be this. Why me? Why me, Lord? God, what am I saying there? God, you didn't really mean me, did you? You, you want me to talk to that person? You didn't really mean me. You know, so-and-so, my buddy right here, is so much more talented. God, I'm busy right now. Are you sure? We even do this sometimes. God, are you sure the task, that task really needs attention? Why me? So that's not much better, is it? Here's a third one that's no good. Not me! Exclamation point. Come on. Have we done that to the Lord? We have done that to God. I don't know how many times when he has prompted us. Maybe we didn't say not me, but by not doing it, we're saying not me. It's as if we're saying, God, you're going to have to find somebody else to do that. The answer is no. God, you're mistaken. Or God, this really doesn't need to be done. Not me. But praise God, sometimes, and I hope it's true in your life, when God prompts us to do something with someone that we have this one positive me response, and it's this. Use me. Lord, use me. When we do that, when we open up and say, God, use me, you know what we're saying to the Lord? We're saying, God, I acknowledge that you are God, and I will obey you. Use me to help. Use me to help mentor someone, disciple a person. Lord, teach me as I help them to know you. So, as you can tell from the various responses, sometimes... I struggle in the area of disciple-making. What about you? You ever struggle in the area of disciple-making? Something for us to think about. I'm like the man who uh, once uh, told his wife he never wanted to live in a vegetative state dependent on a machine. You know, some of y'all have that, right? And uh, he said, if I ever get in that shape, I want you to pull the plug. So she immediately got up and pulled the plug to the TV. 
How often do we get in a spiritual vegetative state? And we do need to plug, pulled. We need to put that stuff, you know, we need the defibrillator to get us going. It, not me, no. Use me, God. James Montgomery Boyce said this about discipleship. Discipleship is not a second step in Christianity as if one first becomes a believer in Jesus and then if he chooses a disciple. Did you catch that? But from the beginning, discipleship is involved in what it means to be a Christian. I fear that some of us think it's an option. We think it's an option to be a disciple, or even more of that, to be a disciple maker. What does that mean? To be one who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. As someone once said, not all who profess Christ really pro... Let me say that again. Not all who profess Christ necessarily possess Christ. You see, you're like me in that we wonder from time to time if we can be used by God in others' lives. I, I know it's true. I see it on your faces. We have discussions about it. It's easy for us to wonder, can, can God really use me? Can I really make a difference in someone's life? Can, can we teach them? Can, can we model for them the life or a, a life of a disciple of Christ? Here's the good news for you. You don't have to model my life, and I don't have to model your life. You can be a disciple of Christ, and you can model that for others. Isn't that good news? You don't have to customize it. You don't have to change it. You're already you. And if you're blood-bought, saved Christian, God is ready to do that. Today, we continue the study. Let's look at verses 10 through 14. I appeal to you for my child, whom I fathered while in chains, Onesimus. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. I am sending him a part of myself back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. So here we see Paul. He's getting to it. He's, he's, he's not identified the good deed, but he's getting closer and closer to it. Let's pray. God, I pray that we might realize that there is more to life than just being saved and go to heaven. If, that, if that's all there was, beam me up, Scotty. Lord, you would just take us as soon as we're born again. But you have work for us to do. You have disciple-making for us to do. You have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to get out, and you choose to use us. So we pray we would really ponder today what that means. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me give you one statement to remember today, and it's this. We are to replicate. Do you know what that word means? Reproduce. We are to replicate, replicate, 
through disciple making. Not through having a big Sunday school class. Not through writing a book. Not through having an itinerant traveling ministry. But all of us are to replicate being a disciple through a thing called disciple making. And the beauty of it is it can be done in your living room. It can be done in a hallway or a classroom in the church. It can be done at a coffee shop. It can be done taking a walk. It can be done in a variety of places and ways. The problem is it's not being done. Remember, we are to replicate through disciple making. Point number one from two weeks ago is simply this. In verse 10 and 11, we're reminded again, and I want us to be reminded again, that Paul led Onesimus to Christ. It's clear here. Notice you have the word there in verse 10, child, or maybe you have the word son. That means, just to refresh your memory, that means pupil, that means disciple. Specifically, it means the spiritual child of someone. Not talking about uh, physical, but spiritual. So we have the word child or son, and we have the word father. And we see that in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child. Paul's writing this. Whom I fathered while in chains. Somehow, and I don't know how I wasn't there, but it just blows my mind. Somehow, Onesimus, the runaway slave, ends up seeing Paul. Paul's in prison, remember? And Paul taught Onesimus about the crucified and risen Christ. You can see that. Go to the book of Colossians. You see it over and over again. Okay? Hmm. And guess what? It's funny. People who tell others about the crucified and risen Christ, and they do it often, and they build relationships, and they do it with love, guess what? People get saved. Onesimus got saved. And from that moment, everything changed. Now, Paul knew about the change. You remember the change that occurred with Paul? He's headed down the road to do what? Come on, to kill Christians. He's headed down the road to kill Christians. And Jesus Christ, he gets blinded and gets his attention, right? And a, 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 the great exchange, that change, crossing that divide, it all happens in Paul's life. And he writes about it to the Corinthians when he says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, any woman, any boy or girl, what happens to them? They become a new creature or creation, right? The old goes away. Here's what we forget, church. We got the old going away. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. But behold what? Some things become new? No. It's supposed to be all things become new. So that involves my thoughts, doesn't it? They become new. My speech, my wallet, the way I treat others, how I share Christ. All those things become new. And I would have just checked that verse, man. You can't just stop with the old's gone away. You've got to see that the new has come. And it says all things. So we got work to do, church. I'm not there yet on the all, are you? God is still working on me. And Scripture says he will work and he will complete it when he returns. But I fear some of us, hear me, I'm, I'm fired up because I wasn't here last week. Woo! 
I fear some of us take that verse and we say, well, God will complete it. I'm just going to wait until I die. No, that's not what it means. We are to be working and serving and making disciples all along the way. Wouldn't it be better for the completion to be done when God comes back? And it not to be like this, but it just to be that next step because we've been following him and serving him all along the way. The word fathered is used rarely, but we see it here. Paul was intentional with that word. He was like a father. He was the spiritual father to Onesimus. Paul lifted the runaway slave out of that and put him right here with a special relationship with Paul. Can you picture that? I don't care that Paul was in prison and changed. He was still the apostle Paul, the greatest missionary that's ever walked the earth. Probably one of the greatest evangelists that have ever walked the earth. And here he is, and Onesimus is right here. He's a brother now. He's saved. Isn't that just what God does with us? Whatever your story, whatever your story, God lifts us up to have a special relationship with him. Paul led this guy to be born again. The runaway slave has now proved to be beneficial to Paul both personally and in the work of Christ. I would remind you in verse 11 of those two words, useless and useful. Paul knew about Onesimus' past. They spent time together. I'm sure the story was told. The lawlessness, the lowly position, the poverty, all those things that go with it. But Paul did not restrict Onesimus to his past, nor did he excuse it. I realize there are consequences that we deal with from our past. And we should not excuse that. But guess what? We shouldn't be restricted by it either. Onesimus is now useful to Paul. And, according to Scripture, to Philemon as well. And you can imagine, remember this letter is being read to the whole house church there. That's meeting in Philemon's home and... I'm sure he's thinking, say what? Not out loud, of course. Just like the things you're thinking right now. Thank you. Thankfully, you're not saying them out loud. I appreciate that. You know, like, what is that guy saying? Wow. Useless members of society, we call them sinners, can become valuable and productive through Christ. As we stated two weeks ago, the useless become useful through Christ. Do you see that change? Can you see it? Church, nod your head up and down if you can see how that happens. You may think, well, I was useful. Listen, before Christ, you were not. You, you may have been useful to your employer. You may have been useful to your family. You may have paid your taxes even. But you were spiritually and ultimately useless until you and I were saved. Born again. Let's not forget that. And because of that, it takes care of some of those responses. Do you remember how we started the sermon? It takes care of the me. It takes care of the why me. It for sure takes care of the not me. This allows us, because now we are useful, it allows us to be able to say, use me. Now, let me stop for a minute before we get to point two. Many Christians know Matthew 28 19 and 20. What's the heading in your Bible? What's it called? Come on, say it. The Great Commission. Man. 
Has that been preached and taught? We, we, we know what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says. It says, therefore, go and do what? Make disciples. Some of you have an old translation that for hundreds of years incorrectly translated that word and messed things up. It said teach. That's not what the word means. It means make disciples. So if you have a version that says teach, mark that out and write make disciples because that is what is accurate. And more importantly or more specifically, disciples who make disciples. Do you see that? It is not an addition and subtraction equation. This great commission that Jesus Christ has given to each one of us who call ourselves Christians is supposed to be a multiplication process. We become a disciple. We make a disciple, not just to sit and stew, even on the front row, but that they would go and make disciples. I heard it said just recently from someone, also this week, Really, you only got to be one day ahead of that person, right? And you can be making disciples. Hmm. Some desire to follow the command. I believe it. I am so blessed when I hear you guys talking about trying to make disciples. It seems, though, that few understand that disciple-making is so much more than having a Bible study with an existing Christian. I'm trying to use the word disciple-making this morning because for so long, I, I, for years as a minister, I was that way too. I thought discipleship was a good class. No. That's not what it is. You know what a good class is? It's a good class. Yeah. We thought disciple making is a Bible study with an existing Christian. There's nothing wrong with it. But within our church and within our community and what Hoppentown hosts, we host hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Actually, we host over a thousand a week. When you add in our Bible study, when you add in BSF, when you add in all the Wednesday things, the Tuesday morning thing, when you add it all in, listen, we have plenty of Bible studies, but they're usually almost exclusively with existing Christians. Well, pastor, you are, are you saying you don't like Christians? <laughs> no. Now, some people who think they're Christians need to be saved because they're not Christians, all right? We acknowledge that. There's no fruit. There's nothing going on in their life. But this is not what disciple-making is, okay? So move that, that great thing. I'm going to my class. There's my teacher, right? Chris Atensa, right there. I'm going to class. If the preacher ever gets done this morning, I'm going to class, all right? That's good. But let's separate that a little. We can't take that good thing and just plop it in and say, that's disciple-making. Listen, we, here's the problem. Hear me. This hit me a few years ago. I'll never forget, a young lady from Toronto, Canada was sharing with a group of us state executives, whatever that means, and she was talking about disciple-making. And it just quickened, it hit us in the heart because we must understand, here's the problem. Disciple-making begins with pre-conversion relationships. Disciple-making begins with pre-conversion conversion relationships well good what's the problem with that what do you think the problem is with that that means what relationships with lost people do you see the problem 
There's a number of us in this room today. There's a number of us at Hoffmantown Church. If you were to sit down with me as your pastor and we were to visit for a few minutes and I asked you the question, how many lost friends do you have? There's a number of you that would say, I don't have any. Do you see the problem now? If you don't have friends who are lost, if you're not trying to build a relationship, whether it's over a short period of time or a long period of time, God decides that. How are you going to be part of disciple-making? Because disciple-making begins with the pre-conversion relationship. In other words, it's pretty hard to make a disciple unless they're transformed and converted. They're saved, right? Born again. Man, I knew I wasn't going to get a single amen. That's okay. Listen, let me say it this way. If people are not saved, how can they be discipled? You think about that for a minute. You see, the word there is not matheo, which means to learn or to teach, but it's a different word. It's a longer word, and it means to make a disciple. What does that mean? It literally means this, to become attached to the teacher. So I could say it this way. Go, therefore, and make disciples that I need to be working in people's lives so they become attached to the teacher, small t, and then in a short amount of time, they are really attached to the teacher, capital T. Are you tracking with me? And we continue on, but mm, let me tell you this. Some of us are spending too many years with our Christian relationships, and you need to have them. But listen, you need to pass them on so they can make disciples. I know he's your buddy. I know she's your BFF, but you can have that. But you can't have 12 of them in the church. Some of them you need to pass on so they can go find someone. We've got to get, listen, the only hope for Albuquerque is we get to multiplication, which is disciple-making. This addition and subtraction. And you look at our church. We've we've added more new members. We keep adding people. People are saved. But guess what? People are dying. People are saved. People are dying. We've got to move beyond addition and subtraction. To push back the darkness, we need multiplication. I did not mean to spend that much time on point number one, but I want you to think about that. I want people to become attached briefly to the teacher and then really attached to the teacher with a capital T because once that happens, they go find someone else. They go befriend someone else. And they do it. And then guess what? I sit back and say, well, look at him. He's doing great. Look at old Andrew Grabowski, man. He's, all, he's over there, youth pastor now and everything. Woo, hand him off. No. We hand off, so what? So we can do it again. We can replicate. We replicate ourselves, being born-again Christians, through disciple-making. So let me ask you, who do you know who's lost? Do you have any relationships with lost people? All right, point made. Point number two, verses 12 and 13. Paul mentored and discipled Onesimus. Verses 12 and 13. Look at it. I am sending him a part of myself back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment, For the gospel, he might serve me in your place. Wow. Have you ever desired to have a fresh beginning? I I have. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Of course, the greatest fresh, fresh beginning of all is becoming a Christian. And this occurs, there's confession, there's repentance, 
then there's change, and then there's right choices. And one of those right choices is disciple-making. Here's the good news. God is the working agent in all those stages, all four of those instances. It's God who's the working agent. These had all occurred in Onesimus' life. He was useful to Paul. He had joined into the ministry with Paul. He was so useful to Paul that Paul some of the same, saw some of the same characteristics in Onesimus that Paul knew was present in Philemon. Well, how can you say that? Well, look what he said. He said in, in, in verse 13 that he might serve me in your place. He's doing the same things you, you've done, Philemon. He can just serve in your place. Paul brought this new Christian right alongside him. Here's what I want you to get. Here's something that we're missing. Paul mentored Onesimus through service. Yes, he was in prison, but he was doing that way. I want you to think about that for a minute. I want to think about some of the relationships. Maybe there's someone that, that you want to be part of disciple-making. You'd like to get them along and boot them on down the road so they can do it as well. Mentor through service. Do together. I'm talking about Christian service. I'm not talking about the Kiwanis Club. No offense. I'm talking about Christian service. Do it. We've seen it proved over and over. The books, the studies are being written now about the kids who leave the home, leave high school, they go off to college, the kids who stay in church, the kids who maintain the relationship with Jesus were mentored by their parents in serving together or by another significant adult in the church serving together. So think about that, would you? Would you? When's the last time you brought a lost person and then hopefully a saved person, a new Christian, alongside and mentored, not through just parsing Greek verbs or looking at Hebrew words or whatever you want to put in there, but through service. I love, we have some guys in the church I love that they go out and they take someone with them. They go out and witness. That's why when we've been going out into the neighborhoods, twice now, it's two by two. Why? Together. You see how that works? Together. Maybe you're the one who needs a little sharpening, or maybe you're sharpening the other one, but the two by two things works really well. Paul brings this new Christian right alongside him, mentors through service. Onesimus, according to Scripture, had become a per, is a personal friend, a companion, if you will, and it's not an academic pursuit. Look at it. He touches the heart and affections of Paul. I am sending him a part of myself, almost as if he, you could say, part of my heart, okay, to you. Wow. It's tough work, but it's worthy of that. Even though Onesimus had become so vital in the, to the ministry in Rome, his transformation did not erase his former obligations and relationships. I want you to remember that. We're getting to the story, finally. We're going to get to the end of the story. But Paul knew that those former things had to be dealt with. That's why Paul knew that the runaway slave must fulfill his duty and return to his master. But it was tough. Paul felt like he was, look at verse 12, as if he was tearing his own, this was tearing my own heart out. He's part of me. We would say it this way today. 
It's an old Scottish term. We would say it gutted him. You ever been gutted by something? Shouldn't say that during hunting season, all right? But yeah, gutted. Disciple making is not for the faint of heart. That's probably why there's a lot of us that don't do it. Not only was Paul sending a part of himself, but he was also sending, catch this. Have you thought about this? He's sending a part of himself, Onesimus, not just it's ripping his heart out, but into a perilous situation of unknown outcome. Paul's not God. He doesn't know how Philemon is going to respond. But yet he does what he needs to do. Thus, verse 13, Paul admits something. He's very transparent. He wanted to keep Onesimus right there, verse 13. Well, why keep him? Just because he was sneaking in McDonald's french fries to the prison? No, he says it. For what? For the sake of the gospel. Remember, Paul is in chains, but he's in gospel chains. The reason he's in chains is because he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere. Onesimus had real value as a servant of Paul. Yet, Paul knew it's for the sake of the gospel. Verse 13, the gospel must continue, as must reconciliation. That's why Paul is sending him back to Philemon. You think about that for a minute. The gospel must continue. You know, according to the New Testament, why the Lord has not returned, right? This is not a prophetic statement here. It's, the scripture is clear. God still has people who need to be and will be saved. Are you aware of that? I can't quote it perfectly right now. I've memorized it in two different versions. But you know what I'm talking about. So the gospel must continue. And reconciliation must continue. Paul did not want to accept anything less than genuine Christian reconciliation. And let me tell you something about reconciliation. We're going to get to it here in the next few weeks. It can only be accomplished with the transformation of all the hearts involved. There's got to be transformation. Paul desired for Philemon and Onesimus to be brought together as brothers in Christ. Let's remember, we are to replicate through disciple-making. Point number three, our final point today, we find in verse 14. Paul let God work out his purposes in Onesimus' life. Verse 14. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation but of your own free will. Look at verse 13. Paul's want to, in verse 13, where he says, I wanted to do this, it's in the imperfect form. What does that mean? It indicates it's ongoing. It's this ongoing longing to keep Onesimus around. I long for him to stay around, okay? That's his want to. But now we get to his want to in verse 14. But I didn't want to. When we get to verse 14, it's in the aorist form. What does that mean? That simply means it's a willful decision that has been made. It's not this ongoing longing. It is a resolution, if you will. He is resolved to do this and to send him back. Do you see the difference? Professor Lightfoot said it this way. The will stepped in and put an end to the inclinations of the mind. I like that. 
the will takes over at some point over the mind. See, Paul did not want to do anything, it says right there, without your consent. He acknowledges that there's a social situation going on, and this social situation so affected Onesimus. What was the social situation of that day? Starts with an S, ends with a Y. Slavery. Okay? Paul aims for Philemon to be transformed in his own viewpoint and opinion. Now, let me just say a little bit about slavery. Uh, slavery has been around forever in different forms. It was a slightly different form than this slavery that put this mark on our country. Probably till Jesus comes back. A horrific mark, okay? But slavery mocks Christian compassion and brotherhood. You can't have Christian brotherhood with slavery. It assaults the biblical principle of equity before God. Slavery, if you will, trans, uh, tramples God's creation. Listen to Proverbs 14.31. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, capital M. Think about that for a minute. But Paul is a good example for us here. Don't worry, I'm not going to do a whole other sermon. Okay? He gives us, he's a good example. Rather than only attacking the social structure or the social relationships, the Christian response should be for a reformation of the heart and mind rather than just a revolution over social institutions. So, you take slavery, you take whatever is going on, let me say it this way, whatever your cause is, and I want you to hear something. Yes, it's good to attack that social structure, those relationships. Yes, we should be in the battle, but I'm going to tell you something. What trumps revolution over these things is reformation. Reformation of the heart and mind. How could we say it? I'd say it this way. Whatever your cause is, the answer is transformational change when it comes through Jesus. That sounds cliche, but it's true. It's true. How many of times have we attacked the structure and it looked like it's going well and just falls back? Just, you know, one step forward, two steps back. No, it's got to be transformation of the heart. Jesus does that. So Paul refuses, though, to manipulate. Here's, here's disciple making. You ready? Listen closely. Paul refuses to manipulate Philemon. He also refuses to abandon Philemon. This is the way of disciple making. Paul will not back Philemon into a corner, according to verse 14, nor will he leave Philemon alone to figure this out on his own. This is the way of disciple making. Paul does not coerce Philemon into behavior modification, but leads Philemon towards heart transformation. This is the way of disciple making. You see, when the hearts of people become captured by truth and compassion, social e evils disappear. We must mentor others. We must disciple others. We must become disciple Makers, Listen, think about our day for a minute. We have abortion, pornography, abuse, prostitution, sexual identity, unfair labor practices. I could go on and on. You fill in your cause. You get it in there. But I'm going to tell you something. With all of those, they will only diminish when people uphold the value and preciousness of life 
Well, how do you do that? When they agree with God that each person reflects God's glory, that each person deserves our mercy and grace, and ultimately it becomes a brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister thing. So we could say Paul relied on God to help both of these guys. It's an unknown situation that he's getting ready to create. Paul is creating this situation. And he says, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to rely on you for both Onesimus and Philemon, that they would respond according to God's truth and goodness. Remember, we are to replicate through discipleship. So I have a question for you. Are you willing? Men, are you ready to disciple another brother in Christ? And that brother may be out there, and he's not a brother yet because he's pre-conversion. Are you ready? Ladies, are you ready to disciple another sister in Christ? Perhaps she's one, not a sister yet, because it's pre-conversion. D.L. Moody said it this way. It is better to train ten people than to do the work of ten people. But it is harder. Disciple making is hard. We get our hands dirty. But remember, we are to replicate through discipleship. That's our hope. Disciple making, multiplication. I'm almost done. Let me ask you this. What would happen if all of us here today volunteered for this job like Paul did? Listen, if I was in prison in change, I would be whining and griping. What about you? I would have been banging. I need, I don't, I'm sick of oatmeal, gruel, whatever it is. I don't know, right? What is Paul doing? He's disciple making while he's in prison. Wow. What would happen if all of us here today volunteered take on this disciple-making job just like Paul did. Because none of you are in prison. Maybe you're going to prison. I don't know, but you're not in prison right now. You're sitting right here. You're watching online. Whose life would be transformed if we agreed to teach or help with that Sunday school class? If we started a new class? If we agreed to serve in a ministry, either existing or a new one? Even more so, church, what would our city look like? Listen, What would our city, you you know Albuquerque, right? I I looked at some news this morning. Should not do that on Sunday morning. So depressing. What, though, would our city look like if each of us mentored even one person next year? What if 25% of us did? It would be amazing. Well, I'm reminded of the story about the old farm couple. They're driving down the road, county road, in the pickup, and the wife says, she's reminiscing, she goes, we, we never sit all snuggled up in the truck like we used to. You remember those days? I had a 72 Chevelle Malibu. No, no, not bucket seats. You may think, well, it wasn't a hot rod. It was kind of a hot rod, but it had a bench seat. What was good about that? <laughs> hey, I'm a normal person like you. I put my arm around that sweetie, and there, I'm not even talking about Lynn yet, okay? That was, 
later on she became the ultimate sweetheart, right? But right, some of y'all have done that, okay? So she's reminiscing there in the truck, this old farm couple. We never sit snuggled up like we used to. And her husband looked at her. He paused and he replied, I haven't moved. Now there's a lot of levels there. First of all, he's driving. As far as I know, the steering wheel is still in the same, the driver is still sitting in the same part. So he says, I haven't moved. Wow. Let me tell you something. When we resist mentoring, when we resist disciple making, remember, we aren't as close to God as we think we are. In fact, we may not be as close to God as we once were because we're saying, not me, not me, not me. Remember, he has not moved. We have. What are we going to do about it, Christian? And I'll just ask you this final question. What is God asking you to do today? So we're going to do our response time different today. I want you just to stay right where you are. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. That's a cliche or term for get alone with God. However you do it, would you get alone with God just for a minute? Would you do that right now? Focus in on the Lord. Forget about what time it is. Forget about it, who's next to you, or if you're headed to class, or you're already, whatever it is, forget about all that. And I want to, you to just think about what is God asking you to do today? What lost person, perhaps, is he asking you to begin a relationship with? What person is he calling you to not just teach, but to help them become a disciple of the teacher who ultimately becomes a disciple of the teacher, capital T? Maybe you're part of disciple making. Is God asking you to push that disciple out of the nest, nest so they can fly? And so they can begin the multiplication process. Because disciple making is making disciples who then go and make disciples who then go and make disciples. What might God do in our city, in our church, if some of us would do this? I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I ask that you would ponder those questions. Acknowledging that pre-conversion, in my opinion, is part of disciple-making. Perhaps you're not a Christian. We'd be glad to talk to you after the service about what that means. We want to get you on that road of being a follower of Jesus. Right now, as I pray, Christian, I want you to think about what God is saying to you. I have 100% confidence in my God, that if you truly are asking these questions of Him, He is presenting you with a name, with a face, with an opportunity. You know the great thing about missed opportunities? God allows us to circle back and make it a real opportunity and go back to that person, that lost person we missed, or go back and share again. 
God, we come to you today. I come to you overwhelmed by the appeal and example of Paul in chains, disciple-making. God, I know you are the God who saves. Listen, you can even save a runaway slave. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the blood, the song we sang about. I pray today, God, that we would obey. God, help us not to say, me. Help us not to say, why me? Help us not to say, not me, but help us to say, as believers here at Hoppentown, use me, Lord. God, I'm praying, I've been praying, and I'm praying today, I will pray this week for people to take that first big step and do it. Realizing that it's hard, that it's messy, that an investment has to be made. God, we ask right now, and church, I want to give you just a moment longer, right where you are, would you just make a commitment to the Lord, whatever it is. I hope it's the use me. Whatever he has put into your heart and mind, that you would move from an ongoing want to to a resolution. As Paul did. That you would be useful in God's kingdom. Thank you, God, that you inhabit our prayers. That you answer them. That you are a God who responds. And just as you worked in our life, you want to continue to work in our life and in others' lives. So we ask for that. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.